After two lovely nights at the Ahmed Hoveli in Udaipur, it was time for us to head on to our next destination, which was more of a pit stop en route to Narkanda. We were headed to Navalgarh, that was to serve as a staging point before we finally got into Narkanda and the Himalayas. Hello and welcome back to one more episode of India Unseen with me, Abhishek Kalwar, where I share with you our experiences of having traversed across the length and breadth of India by road with young kids. We left the Amit Haveli at about 5 o'clock in the morning and in 10 minutes we were on to NH58. Now the saga of brilliant Rajasthan roads continued. Coupled with the early morning chill, driving was a bliss. Surprisingly, unlike Maharashtra, Karnataka or even Gujarat for that matter, there is hardly any traffic on the Rajasthan highways. We made very good time, averaging around 110 km per hour and this was by far the highest we'd done on any of our road trips so far. The route took us past Ajmer, uh, which we uh, crossed without stopping and by about 9 o'clock we were in Kishingar. Here we found a dhaba run by the genial octogenarian Bade Khan Saab and his son who I presume is Chote Khan Saab. It is amazing that it's 5 years since we did this trip. And although I've forgotten the name of the dhaba, I still remember the name of the proprietor. Must be due to the interesting conversation we had. As we walked in, I looked up at the gentleman. He was quite aged with a skullcap perched on two bushy eyebrows that merged with a luxurious grey beard. Somewhere in all that hair was a bulbous nose dangling between two piercing eyes. I gathered my wits and smiled at him. He confirmed that he had clean toilets for the ladies to use, which ticked off one very, very important box for a stop while on the highway. As for food, he announced in true Henry Ford style that we could have any paratha for breakfast as long as it was aloo paratha. After freshening up, we sat down to some pretty decent aloo parathas with the freshest and most refreshing curd that I've had in a long, long time. Now, Bade Khan Saab and I got into a long-distance conversation. Uh, long-distance since his counter was uh, right at one end of the restaurant and we were sitting at the other end and neither of us could be bothered to get up. Uh, I, of course, learned at that point that his name is Bade Khan Saab, uh, which I suspect is a norm de table that he resumed. Now, Bade Khan Saab seemed rather disappointed that we weren't seeing the Kishangar fort and launched into so an the story interesting goes monologue that on his one day, the incumbent In his Saab, opinion... There was the nothing to explore in Happened to see a sheep defend her lambs from a pack of wolves. Inspired by this bravery, he decided to build a formidable fort here. I guess he didn't have the services of any seer to guide him on strategic decisions like the ideal location for a fort building etc. which the other rulers of Rajasthan did. Hence, he had to look elsewhere for inspiration. Now, martially inclined sheep are as good as any inspiration, I suppose. This fort is so formidable that it remains unconquered to this day. It is also home to the miniature style of painting. In fact, the Banithani style of painting too originated here. Now, this is quite a treasure trove of history, heritage and culture. And by now, Bare Khan Saab was in his element and almost apoplectic that we may not visit the fort. I promised him that we would take a look at it on our way back and that seemed to pacify him. 
he charged us the ridiculously low sum of 120 odd rupees for breakfast and we were soon on our way once again the hospitality and sheer warmth of total strangers on the highways of india never ceases to amaze me just before kishangarh one has to turn left onto state highway 7 which goes straight to navalgarh via rupangarh and makrana for some unfathomable reason google maps told us to continue on nh48 and we ended up going towards jaipur it was still in the general northeasterly direction which is where we had to go but it added another 60 kilometers to our journey by the time i realized my folly we had already traversed 22 of these kilometers and we decided to just go on after bypassing jaipur where we encountered a fair bit of traffic we got to govindgarh by now it was nearly 1 pm and everyone had started getting a little anxiety Remember we'd had breakfast at 9 which is about 3 hours back. By my calculation and if we hadn't taken the longer route we should have reached Navalgarh by now. As things stood we were still about 100 kilometers away so I stepped on the gas hoping to get there at least by 14:30 hours at the very latest. Eventually around 1500 hours we reached a largish town of sorts and Google showed that we were about 5 minutes from our destination. Following the blue line on the navigation app we passed the town and ventured into the desert eventually it announced that we'd reached our destination except when we looked around all we could see was sand and desolation for miles perhaps club mahindra was planning to build a property here and we were a couple of years early unlikely as that seemed we backtracked to the town we just crossed a helpful passerby told us the place that we were in was junjunu when he realized that we were coming from ajmer and looking for navalgarh He looked at me like I'd escaped from a mental asylum of sorts. Navalgarh, तो आप 40 किलोमीटर पीछे छोड़ा है। वहाँ रुक क्यों नहीं गए? Was his helpful question. In effect, asking where you crossed Navalgarh 40 kilometers back. Why in God's name did you not stop there? Anyway, I quickly backtracked onto the Jaipur Junjunu bypass road. We had come across this road earlier and totally missed Navalgarh. This time, not trusting the map. we simply stopped at every junction to ask for directions this in hindsight proved a very smart thing to do because the rupnivas palace that was the club mahendra property is actually a small turn off from the main road that goes through fields before getting to the actual haveli now since the time that we stayed here i believe club mahendra has let go of this property but for whatever it was worth the rupnivas in itself was quite quaint The weather was decidedly colder in Udaipur, and as far as we could see, other than the Haveli, there was nothing else around. Our room was a largish, single-storied cottage of sorts, away from the main complex. I assume it must have been the erstwhile outhouse or servants' quarters. But irrespective, it was now a very comfortably furnished room with enough space for all of us, and then some. The window opened up to a beautiful field. and there was even a peacock strutting around right outside our window completing the picture later that evening we saw a flock of camels or is it a caravan of camels passing outside the haveli walls upon investigating a man happened to be leading them back home for the sum of 20 rupees he offered us rides on those beasts which ari and ritika readily agreed to do ranga of course trusted elephants more and out of a misplaced sense of loyalty refused to have anything to do with camels or animals that didn't have a trunk for that matter the rest of the evening was as chilled out as this it being one of those times when you do nothing and are glad for it
Post breakfast the next morning, Ritika and I headed off to explore Navalgarh. It being a lovely winter day, we decided to walk the couple of kilometers into town. About 10 minutes into the stroll, we could smell Navalgarh in the distance. The upside was we didn't have to ask for directions. The downside was the stench was abhorrent enough to make one gag. Eventually, we got to the main street of Navalgarh and discovered the reason for the stench. Both sides of the narrow road had an open sewage line running along it. There were a few halwai shops or sweetmeat shops, hardware stores and general stores all adding their selfless contribution to the open nalla. And just in case that wasn't enough, there were a bunch of young dudes hanging around with their uber cool 110 cc bikes in their four wranglers chewing tobacco and helpfully doing their bit to add to the color and decor of the nalla. One of these dudes pushed up his shades, jumped off his bike on seeing us and sauntered across. You explore Navalgarh, see Haveli, I show only 200 rupees. Now that made us look up and we realized that the open sewage line wasn't the main tourist attraction of Navalgarh. The entire main street was lined with ancient two-storied houses on either side. Most of them seemed deserted, while a few were either occupied or converted to newer and uglier houses. I suppose since there didn't need any long pipes or sewage tanks to be built, everything seemed to be simply getting discharged into the street. This guy seemed harmless enough and we agreed to take him on as a guide. Now as we started walking along with him down the same street, I suspect he randomly chose an abandoned house and walked into it. Considering the place wasn't locked and the doors had fallen off, in we went. Navalgarh is home to some of the country's largest business families including the Birlas, the Podar and the Goenka family amongst others. One look at the open sewer is enough to tell you why they left though. You explore Navalgarh and can't help questioning the surface of Haveli's on the main street though. It just seems like there's too many mansions for a one street town and it doesn't make sense. At least it didn't make sense till we realized that trade was the reason. Navalgarh apparently fell on the crucial overland trade route from the northwest and beyond. This was a key point for exchange of goods from Turkey and Persia before they headed further inland towards Delhi or south towards Gujarat. The design of all the houses bears testimony to this. Our guide helping us explore Navalgarh could explain at least that much to us. As you enter, each haveli has a large waiting hall of sorts. In a bygone era, the clerks would meet each visitor here and examine his goods. If he deemed the item to be worthy of the Sethi's time, then the visitor would be ushered into a curtain enclosure on the other side of this veranda. Here the Seth or his brothers, sons, nephews or other male members of the family would then himself or themselves meet the prospective seller and strike up a bargain. The top of the walls of this outer room were lined with narrow galleries. If there was something that the women of the house may be interested in, they would watch from these galleries. The design is such that they themselves remained unseen behind the jharokas while they could very clearly see all the action that was going on down. We went up to the galleries and other than it being a little cramped, the women seemed to have got the better bargain because this was certainly cooler in the shade and far more comfortable than the verandas down there. As we went further inside, there was another larger veranda open to the skies. This space which is about uh, 40 ft by 40 ft 
was enclosed by a two-storied structure on three sides with a honeycomb of rooms in it. Now, none of the rooms were over 300 square feet big. They were quite gloomy given that only a few had windows. And even these were very small and high up near the ceiling. Evidently, looking out or possibly looking in through the windows was not the criteria here. The ground floor had a small kitchen and adjoining dry food store or pantry of sorts. The house that we were in still had the chula, which is the earthen stove, present along with a few old utensils, which was pretty cool. I didn't see any toilets or bathrooms, although I suspect there must have been there somewhere. After all, the open sewer couldn't have been feeding itself. Our intrepid guide soon got bored of our company and asked to be paid. We'd had enough of him and the Haveli too, so we paid him and wandered off to another set of abandoned houses. Amazingly, the layout of nearly every single abandoned Haveli was pretty much the same. I suppose that makes a lot of sense given that pretty much everyone in Navalgarh existed for the sole purpose of trade. We headed to check out the Bala Killa or the Navalgarh Fort. This fort unfortunately now exists only in name and a hideously ugly structure today houses State Bank of India, HDFC and some sundry other banks and assorted Sarkari offices. I don't know which is worse. The Maharashtra government's penchant of letting their forts go to neglected ruin or the Navalgarh approach of defacing the fort and turning it into offices. Anyway, we headed back to the Rupmahal, lazed around for the rest of the day and shored up on our energies for the long drive the next morning. Because finally, we would be heading to Narkanda and the snow-clad Himalayas. Narkanda is 590 kilometers by road from Navalgarh. And as per Google Maps, this should take you about 11 hours to cover. That largely is due to the last 150 kilometers or so being in the mountains. So by 4.30 hours in the morning, we were all bundled up and loaded into the Yeti, set for our expedition of going to Narkanda in Himachal Pradesh. As I moved slowly along, the temperature gauge read about 4 degrees. Even with the fog lamps on, I could barely see beyond the bonnet of the car. One had planned this trip, the Navalgarh to Narkanda journey of about 590 kilometers was to be covered in 10 hours via National Highway 709 and NH5. We planned on reaching Chandigarh around 1100 hours for brunch and then continuing towards Kandaghat, Shimla and Narkanda. Unfortunately, given the fog situation, we literally crawled along NH709 at about 25 kilometers per hour. The roads were deserted. Or at least, I could not see or hear anyone in the 10 feet radius that was visible to us. It was freezing cold and we could see absolutely nothing. Talk about poor planning. After struggling around for 30 minutes, I could finally make out the taillights of what sounded like a truck ahead of me. In the interest of safety, I went up behind the truck and started driving in its wake. I suppose that must have been great for safety, but at half our speed, after pottering around behind that truck at a speed of about 10 or 12 kilometers per hour, in about 15 minutes, I finally mustered the courage to overtake. This helped marginally and we now were crawling at what seemed like a pretty fast 25 or 30 kilometers per hour. Soon, another car came up behind us and this guy started doing to us what we were doing to the truck, except the genius had his high beam lights on. The lights from his car seemed distorted and amplified in the mist, creating a kaleidoscope of 
white and yellow light pooling around in front of my eyes. I desperately tried signaling him to go on ahead, but he doggedly stuck to my tail. Eventually, left with no choice, I pulled over, hoping that he'd come alongside. Sadly though, our friend dutifully pulled over behind me. Not wanting to get out of the comfort and safety of the car, given that the outside temperature was about 2 degrees now, I drove on for 10 minutes more with my loyal follower mirroring every small twist and turn of the steering that I made. Seeing that things weren't improving, I slowed to a crawl. Yes, you can crawl slower than 25 km per hour as I discovered. Rolling down the window and mustering the courage to put one arm out in the freezing atmosphere, I waved to the other guy to come alongside. After much reluctance, he came up beside me and rolled down his passenger side window. There was some bhangra rap blasting in his car at 5.30 hours in the morning. And the 20-something-year-old chap seemed pretty thrilled with his lot in life. He grinned at me as if to say, you and I are the only morons out on these roads at this unearthly hour. I politely told him that I had no problem with him following me if only he turned off his high beam. He just grinned back at me like an imbecile. So I told him, your headlights are blinding me and I am likely to crash the car. Given how closely you are following me, it is very likely that you will crash into me if I stop suddenly. And the only solution is, either you go ahead and I follow you, or you turn down your high beam lights. Thankfully, he seemed to get it and nodded vigorously grinning from year to year. Or maybe he was just moving in time to the music in his car. Either way, I drove on ahead and thankfully he turned off his high beam. After about an hour, he blasted his on, came alongside again, rolled down the window and leaned over. As I rolled down my window to see what he wanted now, he waved vigorously, grinning and nodding his head all the time, I guess again in time to his music, and turned right at the intersection that we just come up to. That was fun while it lasted. Having lost our tail, we continued on towards Rotak. By this time, it was nearing 0700 hours and there was a hazy twilight although the fog hadn't disappeared yet. Still, visibility had improved and we were doing around 60 km an hour. Now, somewhere between Rotak and Panipat, there was a police roadblock on the highway. Apparently, a week back a child had been run over by a bus on the highway due to the fog. The agitating villagers had blockaded the roads and the cop asked us to turn around and take a detour to Chandigarh. Left with no choice, we turned around and headed back almost 30 km to Bhivani. From there, we cut across to Hisar and took NH52 to Patiala. Our plan of reaching Narkanda at a decent hour seemed to be unraveling pretty fast. This detour had added around 90 kilometers to our journey. Given the fog situation, that meant a minimum of 2 hours or longer overrun. Soon it was 1000 hours and the fog still hadn't dissipated. Thankfully though, Visibility had improved to the extent that the headlights, especially the fog lights, were finally effective. Now we'd stocked up with some plain cheese and butter sandwiches from the resort. And other than loo breaks, we figured we'll just speed along at a healthy 70 or 80 kilometers per hour and try to make up for some lost time. By 1300 hours, we crossed Patiala and around this time, the fog had completely disappeared. In about an hour more, we reached Chandigarh, where we halted at a brand new hotel. Only the restaurant was operational uh, and the name board was still being put up as we drove in, so I don't know what the place was called. It was our luck that the lady who owns the place told us that she could only serve butter chicken, tandoori chicken, naan and rice. And for dessert, 
we'd have to make do with gulab jamuns because that is all they had on the menu to this day i can't figure out what in god's name was she so apologetic about i mean the food was absolutely outstanding and we ate to a heart's content i don't know if it was the fact that we hadn't eaten all day or if the food was genuinely good but it really hit the spot and by about 1500 hours we finally left for shimla the chandigarh shimla highway had very sparse traffic and we made good time zipping through the roads by 7:30 hours we were in shimla which is about 13 hours since the time we'd left from navalgarh earlier that morning after a quick refueling break we got into shimla to cross the town and get on to the other side of the highway traversing shimla was a 45 minute nightmare entire mountain sides have ugly man-made structures clinging to them there's an overflow of vehicles and humanity clogging the roads and as far as the eye can see there are no mountains or trees visible all you can see are ugly buildings attached to one another on our entire journey by road to narkanda this was easily the ugliest stretch finally we managed to get out after battling traffic for the better part of an hour and climbed further up to narkanda it was dark by now and the outside temperature read minus 2 degrees thankfully there was no fog and the only thing slowing us down was the fact that we were navigating through some very narrow mountain roads we continued on nh5 and quickly crossed the shimla reserve forest kufri and tiog by 1945 hours we had crossed the narkanda town where a helpful shopkeeper told us that a destination the tetis ski resort was just a couple of kilometers away a little outside town we turned left further into the mountain for the resort this road is at an incline of about 30 degrees and approximately 2 kilometers long now as soon as i turned onto this road the car went to a skid as i fought the steering the rear end swayed towards the passenger side while the front end seemed to have lost all interest in gripping the roads whatsoever my heart was nearly in my mouth but luckily for us the yeti's all time four wheel drive kicked in and somehow i managed to get the car back on the road for a moment there we were truly terrified neither of us that's ritika and i had ever driven on snow or ice before for me it was something that was totally new and i certainly wasn't equipped to deal with it luckily for us the four wheel drive in the yeti had taken care of stuff and nothing happened i drove on gamely although to be truthful i could still feel the odd tire spinning freely the car seemed to be gliding with a mind of its own creeping along at 20 kilometers per hour we finally made it up to the resort parking lot where the owner himself was waiting to greet us we'd called him from narkand village that we'd be reaching soon and after nearly 17 hours on the road we finally made it to our destination now the reason the owner himself was waiting for us in the parking lot is he said that unless it's an emergency neither he nor his staff ventures up or down this road after 6 pm during the winters the reason that he explained for this is that after it had snowed if the day temperature went above zero the snow typically would melt causing there to be slush on the road as evening fell the temperature would fall below zero again and the slush would freeze to make black ice which is extremely treacherous for driving all of this of course was news and something very new to me and the owner was himself waiting over there worried and hoping that we'd make it up safely like i said 
after 17 hours of exhausting driving on the road we finally made it to narkanda and our destination there was nothing that i wanted more than a nice warm room and a drink to seep out the fatigue and cold from my bones we were really thankful to get to our destination i was looking forward to a good night's sleep before we could explore narkanda which is one of the lesser known destinations in the himalayas so that's it from this edition of indian scene i hope you enjoyed listening into our adventures as we got into narkanda in himachal pradesh do tune in for the next episode where i'll walk you through what narkanda has to offer as a destination the things to do there and all the fun that we had while we were there be good drive safe on your next road trip and i'll see you on the other side of this podcast goodbye Thank <laughs> you.